This is On and Off Your Mat podcast, episode 99, Accessible Approach to Self-Care. Have you ever felt like self-care wasn't quite for you, or at least the way it's sold by the beauty industry? Well, if you're looking for a way to take care of yourself so you can be more present in your life, you can thrive, and you'd be able to give and be of service, this episode is for you. So for today's episode, I sat down with Mado Hesling. Mado helps yoga teachers integrate their heart-centered mission with practical business and teaching strategies so they can make both a living and an impact. As a business owner and parent, Mado has learned that self-care is an essential skill for staying sane in this crazy world. Putting self-care into action through a personal practice is one of the core themes of Mado's podcast, The Yoga Teacher Resource. And through the podcast, online courses, and her membership called The Impact Club, Mado supports yoga teachers to find their voice, lift their values, and build a sustainable business. Before we get to our discussion with Mado, I want to remind you of a few things. First, I am leading a yoga retreat in Mexico next November. You'll find the link in the show notes for that if you want info or if you want to join us. There's still a few spots. Number two, in parallel, I am launching or I have launched a GoFundMe campaign to raise money to create a scholarship for that yoga retreat. So I encourage you to donate if you want to support someone who can't afford to come on a retreat. I encourage you to apply for yourself if you need to or just share it so anybody that you know could apply or donate. That way, we're making yoga retreats more accessible to anybody that would like to join. Number three, we have a premium membership here on the podcast. So to get access to all the premium content, including the video format for this episode and 200 plus video class library in the Netflix style, you need to go to withribbon.com slash you slash Erica Belanger. And of course, you'll find the link for that too in the show notes. Now, last announcement, super exciting. I'm so thrilled. We've been talking about this since episode 95. We are now at episode 99. And so this is our last episode before number 100. And for the occasion to celebrate a hundredth episode on this podcast, we have an incredible bundle of gifts for you. We have yoga props, yoga clothes, classes, and so much more. We have joined forces with brands we love to celebrate this occasion. Athleta is joining us, Lifeform, Ajna Wellbeing, Yoga Tune-Up, Spritz Wellness London, Jason Niemer, which is one of our guests on the podcast, and myself. And so to participate to our giveaway, if you want to win this big bundle, all you have to do is vote for your favorite episode. And in episode 100, so next Monday, come back and I will share your favorite episode, your choices, and of course, our big winner. So check the link in the show notes for you to vote for your favorite episode and enter. That's all you have to do. And then I will talk to you today about one of our sponsors. We did every episode kind of present them. So if you want to hear about all of them, go in the show notes. All the details are there. On episode 95, we talked about Athleta and how they are giving you a $100 gift card to buy new yoga clothes. On episode 96, we talked about Ajna Wellbeing and they are giving you an eco yoga bolster and acupressure mat and pillow set. On episode 97, I shared three more gifts coming your way. One was a free membership to my live online yoga classes and class library for one month, which is worth $100. And our guest Jason Niemer from episode 22, Acro Yoga, is giving you a copy of his brand new book, Move, Connect and Play. And then Spritz Wellness London is giving you a beautiful eye pillow. On episode 98, we added 
my favorite yoga mat, amazing mat from Lifeform. And now, at episode 99, our last sponsor is TuneUp Fitness. TuneUp Fitness is a health and wellness company that offers products and embodied education, focusing on helping people alleviate physical pain and stress, improving athletic performance, and helping people to move better in their body. They are a leader in self-care fitness, sometimes called conscious fitness or prehab and recovery. And they have two fitness formats under the TuneUp Fitness umbrella. They have Yoga TuneUp and the Role Model Method. And they also have over 500 certified teachers around the globe, including me. And that's why I reached out to them to ask them to join this giveaway because I love the work they do and I love teaching this method. They are giving you a Role Model Starter Kit and a class pass for one of Jill Miller, their founder, which she's amazing, classes on Union Fit. The starter kit includes one pair of role model therapy balls in their tote, one pair of plus balls in their tote, tiny bit bigger, and then one alpha ball, still a little bigger, and one air-filled gorgeous ball. And they're all packed into a mesh shoulder carry tote. So many gifts. Can you believe this? So many of you have already entered this giveaway, so thank you for joining the celebration. If you haven't already, know that you have until August 22nd, 11.59 Eastern Standard Time. So you have to enter before that time if you want to participate and win all of these gifts. And just a reminder to enter our anniversary giveaway. All you have to do is check the link in the show notes and follow that link to vote for your favorite episode. I will announce the winner on episode 100, which will be a special format next episode. Come back next Monday and I will share with you the most favorite episodes. So the ones that you voted for this giveaway, the most listened to episode, and then a few little mention on some of my favorite and other special episodes. So that's our plan coming up. All right, enough chatting from me. Let's get to our episode of today with Mado. Thank you so much for joining me today. So for listeners that don't know you very well, can we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your yoga journey? Absolutely. I have been, gosh, I started taking yoga in college. So that was in maybe the late 90s or Uh circa 2000, somewhere around there. I was a theater major. And so my teachers, my theater teachers incorporated some yoga into our classes. And I also started practicing martial arts. It was a form of karate. And at the time, you know, the karate was really intense. It was a very intense form of karate, of martial arts. And it was, I was not athletic growing up. I was Hmm. a bookworm. (laughs) I was like, not in my body. I love to be in a story always. And so being in my body for the first time was kind of, it was, it was intense. It was really painful in some ways, because it's like, this is one of the things, one of the coping mechanisms that we have, right. Is cutting ourselves off from our bodies. That's a story that is really very common. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up as an immigrant. I grew up in a place where, I was a minority and this escape into books and, and out of the real world and out of my own body was, was just a coping mechanism for me. So 
being in my body was super intense. It was very healing, but it was also painful. Mm-hmm. And when I started practicing yoga, it was like this antidote to the intensity of the martial arts. And I ended up graduating from college and I started a teacher training and then I got pregnant. And at that time, it became very clear to me, especially after I had my daughter, that I needed to choose. I wasn't going to be able to both practice martial arts as a discipline and also stay connected to a yoga practice as a discipline. You know, I don't know if you have kids, Erica. I don't. But (laughs) your life changes. And there is very a lot less time for yourself. And so at that time, it was very clear to me that yoga was the clear choice because it felt nurturing. It felt like a safe space for me to be in my body even though like I had switched martial arts styles and that was safe too, in a way, but my priority became yoga at that time. And I started teaching and I have been a teacher for close to 17 years now. So that is, that's my introduction to yoga. That's how I started teaching. I obviously I was teaching because I loved the practice. I loved what it was doing for me. And it felt like the natural next step in being a student Mm. to share what I was learning. Like that was another way of processing my learning was to, to have a format for sharing it with others. So certainly in the beginning, I didn't think of myself as like a career yoga teacher, but over time, as I was teaching for a long period of time, and recognizing kind of some of the some of the tendencies in the yoga industry, I started to open my eyes like, wow, this is not sustainable for a lot of people. And like even teaching is not sustainable. It the way that the yoga industry is set up for a lot of yoga teachers leads to burnout. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how in one part of your story yoga sounded like a self-care practice at that moment is what you needed for your body and your mind and your soul probably and at the same time as you become a teacher and as you start this podcast and you support other teacher it's also in response for a need of people to be nurtured to be taken care of so it's interesting that today we're coming together to talk about self-care do you see that link absolutely yes and I would say that that is a big it was a big turning point for me where I saw for myself how yoga transitioned from being a source of self-care to having these threads of actually being draining, right? If you're a full-time teacher and you're running around from class to class. And I started to talk to other yoga teachers and I saw what a incredible, incredibly common pattern this was how a a teacher would lose their own practice when they became a teacher. And that's like the opposite of the reason that we became teachers, where we wanted to infuse yoga more into our lives. So that is why that's big reason I started the podcast is I wanted to bring these conversations out into the open and inspire and help more yoga teachers to 
build a career that's sustainable and that feeds them in the way that they originally wanted to be fed by their teaching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think you do this in it's you do this really greatly, so really, really well. So people, you can go check it out if you're looking for a little support in your teaching. That's definitely a good place to start. Now, self-care is kind of a buzzword, right? It's kind of this thing we hear about a lot. I teach about it myself, but why do you think it's still important for us to talk about it? Why is it still, we should still have this conversation today? Well, first of all, just because something's a buzzword, it doesn't mean that it's actually well understood. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when something becomes a buzzword, we start to make assumptions about it. And when we make assumptions about things, then we miss the opportunity inside the conversation. So yeah, I want to have a conversation about this because I want to unpack what does self-care actually mean? What is it actually for? And we're going to talk about accessibility. Like who is self-care for? Yeah. And how can self-care be for everyone? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So before we get there, let's start with what does it mean exactly? If it's a buzzword and we get all this information and gets money of where it was, I don't want to say originally intended, but how, at least in the yoga context, we can use self-care or see self-care. So the only thing that I can share is my own personal experience and my own perspective from it. So the way that I see self-care is as a self-relationship, as a, as a way mm. of honoring and prioritizing a relationship with this container that my spirit moves through the world in my body, my mind, my heart, all of these pieces of myself, these layers, the koshas, if you will, are worthy of being cared for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And nobody is going to be in as good a position and nobody else really should take responsibility as an adult. Nobody else needs to take responsibility for caring of my layers other than myself. So that is self-care to me. And even if they try, they can't really. Like it starts with our own self-awareness. You Even, even with towards ourselves, we might have trouble to find the right self-care practice, right? And if we're not aware exactly. of what we need, if we're not aware of where we stand in the spectrum of our emotions, the way, you know, our body functions or the stories we're telling ourselves. There's so many things that might affect our well-being in general. And so I really think that that idea of self-care is taking care of ourselves, but you have to know where you're starting and you have to know what, where you want to go or what you're wanting or longing to actually experience instead of what you're experiencing right now. Exactly. Within the framework of the yoga tradition, there's a concept of vichara, which is really important. It is it is self-awareness. It is self-study. It is that uh, willingness to inquire within. And that is the invitation of self-care, because in order to self-care, in order to know what we need, exactly like what you just said, we need to first pay attention. We need to see what are we lacking? Where am I over giving or overextending? Where am I depleting? And what systems, structures, and practices would nurture and scaffold me to show up at my best in mm-hmm. the world? Mm-hmm. At my best, meaning the best I'm capable of right now, not like the ideal. It's not about perfectionism. (laughs) It's about just feeling the best you can in the circumstances you have at this moment. Right. Right. So in contrast with that, what 
do you see out there that is maybe not self-care or maybe not for you anyway? Well, I see a lot of people using the term self-care in self-serving commercial ways. So for Mm. example, when we talk about self-care and then we say, oh, getting my nails done is self-care or getting my hair done is self-care. And it's like conflating beauty services with Mm self-care. That to me, I think is not a problem on an individual level. Like if you personally experience getting your hair done as being really nurturing and filling your cup, that's cool. But on a more cultural level, if we're sending the message that somehow beauty practices are equal to self-care, first of all, not everybody has equal access to beauty practices not everybody's going to get equal results from beauty practices. And frankly, especially for a lot of yoga practitioners, the focus on external Mm. appearance is a distraction from what is possible and what is important to us, which is this connection to our own wholeness as Mm -hmm. is, right? Because the beauty industry is all about it thrives on having you feel not good enough as you are. Yeah. And so you need this hair dye or you need this nails or you need this diet or whatever it is you need so that you'll be good enough to be seen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that applies to everybody. But if we look at it with the accessible lens that you just slightly started to mention, I see two issues here. One, we have the issue of income. And two, we have the issue of gender. Like, I think we need to find a way to stop seeing self-care as something you can buy or you need money to buy or you need free time to have access to or a big amount of free time. And also moving away from being so gender-centric around women because we're seeing it as pampering and as beauty and when it's so much more than that. Absolutely. And any time that we feminize an essential need, an essential human need, unfortunately, we deter men from engaging in that kind of a practice, just like yoga used to be for men primarily, and now mm-hmm. it's viewed as for women. And there's lots of men who would benefit from it who won't do it because it's too feminine. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you bringing that up because that's an angle I hadn't really thought through myself because ultimately in my mind, the goal of self-care is not selfish. The goal of self-care is not to like pamper yourself. Mm. The goal of self-care is to show up for your work in this world, right? To give yourself the tools and resources so that you can make the impact that you feel inspired to make, that you can show up for your family in a way that you feel good about. You can show up for your friends and you you can show up for your community. So Mm. we need men (laughs) to do self-care because in my experience and the way that I'm kind of interpreting what I see in the world is that a lot of harm is caused when humans are under resourced. When we're under-resourced, we lash out. When we're under-resourced, we behave unethically. And so we want to be fully resourced 
in order to even know what we're capable of as far as compassion, as far as service, as far as building something amazing. So on the most basic level, it's about self-preservation, not self-indulgence. And from that self-preservation, then we have the resources we need to not only live your best life, but, you know, show up to your fullest potential. Well, I really like how you're framing this. And I would take it one step further. Please. Because I love this conversation. I think that if we look at it as a form of self-preservation, that's where there's no padding. Okay. And that's where we can make poor choices. If we are in a state of feeling like there's no padding around our preservation, right? That we are at the edge then we Surviving. have to act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we were, we're going to take desperate measures. So to me, self-care is like, what happens beyond self-preservation to give you the space to embody what your, what your potential is? Mm-hmm. And this is why, like, uh, politically, I am such a huge fan of ideas like universal health care, universal basic income, all of these things that let's give humans a break from being in survival mode and see what we're capable of after that. Yeah. Yeah. So self-care could be anything you need to move from surviving towards thriving. Yeah. Mm. It could be. Yeah. Love this. So let's go over a few examples. What could that look like for people that maybe don't have the money, don't have the time, or are feeling that the typical self-care places are not really for them? What can we do? What do we want to focus on? There's a few themes here. The first is the nervous system. Our nervous system is really, we're learning more and more that it is the computer that drives our behavior and, and our experience of the world. So the invitation is to be in a deeper relationship with your own nervous system so that you can recognize when you are edging towards depletion so that you can stop before you get overtired so that you can stop so that you can put some extra uh, strategies in place before you're burnt out. Mm -hmm. So, so this is about subtlety. Okay. So if our nervous system goes crazy, if, if we get like super, super um, just in, out of balance with our nervous system, eventually we're going to figure that out. Eventually, yeah, something, we're going to hit a wall. Something, yeah, we're going to hit a wall. Something bad's going to happen. But we don't want to get there, right? Mm-hmm. There's no need to get there. So because the nervous system is on a spectrum, the nervous system is uh, on a scale, let's say. So there's sympathetic and parasympathetic. Now, this is overly simplistic. So if you are really educated about the nervous system, (laughs) (laughs) you know. It's fine. Let's keep it simple for people. We've talked about the nervous system a few times, but repetition is good. And for the context of the conversation, simple is great. It's just for us to understand how we move the pendulum, find balance. So, yeah. Right. So on a simplistic level, you're either in a state of activation or you're in a state of rest. The thing is that too much rest is not ideal. 
Okay. So neither of these are good or bad. Too much rest leads to lethargy, Mm -hmm. leads to depression. Actually. Yeah. I mean, if you think about some of the major illnesses like diabetes and heart disease, and I think those are, those are kind of the biggest, the biggest ones, but too much rest is not a good thing either. Well, when you think like metabolic rate, like just to give an idea, you know, if your metabolic, your metabolism is really slowed down, the ripple effect on your health is huge. Exactly. So at the same time, what most people in modern culture are under are chronic grades, are, are chronic low grade activation of the sympathetic nervous system. And we call that stress. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, because it's low grade, you're not in crisis mode necessarily, but it wears on you mm-hmm. and it piles you, up. You lose your resilience because you're, you're kind of constantly maintaining, but you're maintaining in the background. You're not even aware that you are holding yourself in, that you're kind of protect you're self-protecting. That's what, you know, activation is a lot of times. So self-care in my mind, like one of the the main themes of self-care is to do practices. And there's lots of yoga practices that are very supportive of this to monitor where am I in this relationship between sympathetic and parasympathetic? Am I overly amped up? but on a low grade level where I'm not even really aware that I am, it's just kind of happening in the background or am I kind of slumping towards depression? Mm -hmm. And then we can use our yoga practice to bring some balance. So if we see ourselves as we're overly parasympathetic, then we might need to do some active practices and they might be yoga practices. They might be going on a walk. They might be, you know, swimming, you know, jumping, jumping in a cool mountain stream. That would be a great way to activate your sympathetic nervous system. Yes. Some breath practices. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. And vice versa. So that's the first thread of like, what do we do? How, how do we actually work with this information? Okay. So the second thing that I would look at as an accessible form of Mm self-care is boundaries. Mm. Is recognizing what you can say yes to sustainably Mm -hmm. and offering an honest no when it's not sustainable for you to say yes, right? There can be so many times that you want to say yes. You know, maybe the person, you love the person or you love the idea, but you have to look at what's realistic in your life and for your specific workload before you can honestly commit to to taking something on. And this is such a powerful practice because being really clear with your yeses and nos and and knowing where your boundaries are and setting them gently and early gives you that (laughs) spaciousness that we're talking about. Yeah. You're like setting the tone for yourself 
for your week. You know, you're creating that container where you're like, I am not overscheduling myself. I am not saying things. I'm not saying yes to things that I already know in the moment I'm going to dread or they're going to feel over heavy energetically or that, that day I have too much or whichever reason might come for you. Yeah. Exactly. And this is a hard practice. This is not an easy self-care practice. This is not (laughs) take a bath and you'll be done with it. This is really challenging. And for a lot of people, this is going to be really uncomfortable because we have to deal with the discomfort of the moment when we know it's too much for us, you know, for her threshold of energy or emotion or what's going on. Versus the discomfort of saying no, especially if we're people pleaser. Because when we're people pleaser, we tend to take care of other people before we take care of ourselves. Exactly. It is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) So again, it comes back to awareness too, though. You have to really take a moment and not just be automatic. Yes, yes, yes to everything out of habit and out of that desire to please. But really taking a moment and be like, give me a minute, I'll come back to you and feel feel into it. Look at your calendar. Look at, is this realistic for me? Is this a good time for me? And then deciding what your answer is going to be, really choosing consciously to put yourself first in a kind and respectful way for the other person, but in a way that you're honoring your limits. I really am glad that you brought that up because that is exactly my advice. You get in the habit of saying, I'll get back to you and let that be your automatic. And, you know, I learned that through parenting. I have an 18 year old who is not neurotypical. And so she has been one of my (laughs) biggest teachers. Mm -hmm. And I just learned for survival that I could not let her pressure me into giving her a decision in that moment, because she had such big energy, I had to be like, I'll think about it. (laughs) And I'm not going to be able to think about it if you keep asking me. (laughs) You you don't have to do that with with most adults. But the other thing you have to watch for, and the other reason that this is such an advanced practice is that people won't always couch their demands on your time as a request. So sometimes, and some people are very good at making you feel like you don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. Like it's expected, it's normal, and you just should. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes there's emotional manipulation involved, like guilt, um, all kinds of projection, right? So this is a big practice of being a self-contained adult, and kind of de-enmeshing yourself with other people's stories and patterns and kind of being able to recognize, oh, wow, that's your story about how the world is, but I don't have to buy into it. It's hardest with your family and intimate partners, right? That's, that's like the... <laughs> because it's so intermingled. Yeah, that's like the major ninja, super advanced version but you practice with, you know, at first you're going to, you're going to start by practicing with people a little bit in a, in a more outer circle. And of course your children, if you have children, because it's your job to show up as a leader for your children. 
and, mm-hmm. and you really want to model that, right? You want to model that boundary setting. Yeah. So that is something that, you know, if you have the resources and the ability to, to get help in learning how to set boundaries, there is a level of privilege here, right? We talked about making self-care accessible. The concept of setting boundaries does not require any kind of income level, does not require any specific circumstances. But when you grow up with less privilege, you are more likely to have struggles with your boundaries, right? That is just going to be a part of what has been programmed into you. And we have to work with what we've got. So what we've got is there's a lot of free resources out there. So if you don't have the ability to to pay somebody to help you, you're going to, it's going to maybe go more slowly and you're going to do your best. You're going to be the best version of yourself that you're capable of given your current resources. Yeah. And if you have more resources and you want to step into the world in a way that you can help more people, this would be a worthwhile thing of investing in is learning to be clear first with yourself about what you can do and feel good about, and then learning how to communicate that with others in a way that feels good to them, right? Because there are certainly people who are good at setting boundaries, but they kind of set them too early and too harshly. Mm-hmm. So it's a balance. It's, yeah, it's like anything else. <laughs> delicate. It's a skill set. Yeah. <laughs> And I do agree that when we have a mentor, when we have someone that has done the path before and is giving us the tools and the tips to like go more directly towards where we're going, it's faster. But I think it's always important to remember that responsibility and accountability for ourselves will make a huge difference as well. So it's not because you don't have that person that, you know, it's going to take forever and it's not worth the effort. Actually, I think really showing up and using repetition and just trying again and again and again and learning from that, you will still make leaps over time, even if you have, you know, no one kind of showing you the way. Especially if you have really clear intention. Yes. I wanted to say that and I forgot. Yes. Intention. Yeah, if, you, if you are super connected to the impact that you can make in the world by having good boundaries, you're going to show up for that work in a different way versus it's like, oh, it's kind of nice to have. Oh, it's kind of an extra. No, this is a key skill set. If you want to be a leader and, and by leader, I don't necessarily mean like you don't have to have a team or, you know, create a big organization. But what I mean by being a leader is showing up in the world in the way that that provides an example mm-hmm. for humanity evolving. So if you want to be a leader, boundaries are not negotiable. And another thing that that supports good boundaries that I think we don't always think about, especially if we're yoga practitioners or yoga teachers and kind of in this world is organization. The more organized you are, the more you have a clear picture of what you have actually already committed to and what that's going to take. And that's going to give you more information 
to be able to create that spaciousness in your life. And I also want to speak to just for a moment to just kind of acknowledge that there's all levels of privilege in the world. And so even, let's say, the ability to um, to create time for a personal practice. Not everybody has that. I'm so I'm going to think for, uh, give an example right now. My sister is a single mom with twins, and she she does not have like even the the dad is not in their life at all. Yeah, and so the amount of free time that she has is minuscule. Mm-hmm. But she has the ability to make choices within her circumstances. And that's what I'm talking about with self-care. And that's what I'm talking about with self-care being accessible is find the choices that you have available to you within your current circumstances and make the choices that support as much padding as is, you know, you have determined over time is supportive for you to show up the best way you can. Right. We're all doing our best. You mentioned a bit earlier perfectionism. The one, I think this is such a common way to get derailed is that we see some potential good and we say, oh, I can't do that perfectly. So I'm just throwing it out. (laughs) It's not worth it. Yeah. So I'm, I always want to just emphasize this. Like I get that your circumstances are different but don't tell yourself that means you shouldn't do anything. Yeah. What's an example that your someone like your sister can do? Well, I mean, talking about organization, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the more organized she is, if she has a system, The more things are going to go yeah, smoothly. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And most kids really thrive on routine. So mm-hmm. for example... If she has a really solid routine that her kids can rely on, then she's going to have fewer meltdowns, which drain her energy, which means that, you know, when they go to sleep, she'll have a little bit more presence to see what do I need to do for myself this evening, Mm -hmm. something like that, things like that. Yeah. So it's not always this fancy looking thing. It could be you know, I have 30 seconds in the bathroom. I'm going to take three really deep breaths and smile at myself in the mirror and keep going. (laughs) You know, it doesn't have to be these big, like I'm going to spend a whole day in bed. And yeah, you know, and if you can, if you have the luxury to spend a whole day in bed or take two full days off or whatever it is that you've decided is really supportive for you in showing up fully, then appreciate that, savor that mm-hmm. and acknowledge your, acknowledge the gift mm-hmm. of that privilege, not in a like guilty way, but in a, okay. I mean, in well, it's going to help way, you make the most of it anyway. It's going to help you bring yourself into you know, vibration of gratitude and appreciation, which is just going to help your whole nervous system as well. So it's like you're, you know, you're doubling up. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that not taking things for granted helps us to be a little bit more resilient when things don't go our way. So if we really recognize and savor 
all the little moments, all the little gifts, mm, then when things get derailed, inevitably, when something truly tragic happens, we're a little bit more prepared for it. We're a little bit more like, yep, well, you know, I had a lot of really good and now it's my turn to explore who I am mm-hmm. in this circumstance. <laughs> yeah. So we mentioned a lot of good things. I think we talked about intention and I think that could be like a really big umbrella covering everything within self-care, like showing up with intention and then organizing yourself in a way that you're being efficient, let's say, around your schedule so that it's supportive for yourself. And then we talked about enjoying what's already good as a way to move into that energy and cultivating awareness and self-study to know what you need, whether it's through your nervous system or whether it's through organization and other aspects in your life to create spaciousness, to create ease, to, you know, slow it down as you need to take a break. And then we talked about boundaries and practices that we can do for our nervous system. We talked about yoga, nature, breath, anything else you want to add before we wrap this up today? I don't really have anything to add, but I think it's always worth repeating Mm -hmm. that yoga is an invitation to connect with the part of you that is whole and needs nothing. And so self-care, one way of thinking about it is how do I give myself the space and time to experience that? Great. I'll put all your info in the show notes, obviously, but in the meantime, where's the best place for people to find you if they want to connect on this or on anything else you teach about? I'm on Instagram at yoga.teacher.resource. My website is teachingyoga.net. My podcast is the Yoga Teacher Resource. So basically just type in the Yoga Teacher Resource anywhere that you're (laughs) looking for things. Yeah. And I work primarily with yoga teachers, although if you love podcasts, you'll definitely find some podcast episodes that will apply to yoga practitioners or wellness practitioners of other types. So yeah, I would love to hear from you. And Erica, thank you so much for it, for this conversation. It was really nourishing actually for me. So I kind of consider getting to be here as a form of self-care. Amazing. I'm so glad. It was very enjoyable for me too. And I think we got to some good stuff for listeners. So I think it'll be an inspiring and educational episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast anywhere you listen. Come and connect with us on Instagram at on and off your mat podcast. Visit withribbon.com slash you slash Erica Belanger to become a premium member. Get your hands on all our exclusive content, including our class library. Check out the show notes to find more info about our guests of today, Mido Hesslink, or my top five biggest takeaway from this episode. And do not forget, most importantly, vote for your favorite episode so far and enter our huge giveaway to celebrate our upcoming 100th episode. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast and their support in making this possible, including all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time.